Well, in the past week or so, my wife Cindy and I uh, spent some time renovating our our lawn. In fact, I ought to. Okay, there we go. I'm gonna. This is a new experience for me, also. Um, and I rented a lawn dethatcher. Now I don't know if you know what that is. Um, the one that I rented was a 13 horse twin cylinder Kawasaki powered. It had a 42 inch rotary bar for eating up the grass um, and it could get the job done. I this is the only picture I could find, and that's just a baby Toro. That's like a 36-inch. Uh, but the one I had really did some work. Um, there is one inherent uh, problem. And uh, if you have an in-ground sprinkler system, <laughs> you should mark the sprinkler heads before you start. So... As soon as we had cleaned up all this dethatching and uh, hauled the mess away, Cindy and I made a trip to Bellingham to our local irrigation and sprinkler shop, and this is what I picked up. And of course, uh, being a guy, you know, ladies, what's the first thing you do when you open a package like this? No. You set those aside <laughs> so you can see what you got. And, you know, this package came with all these cute little blue things and uh, this, this sprinkler. You know, it's not really difficult to understand. After you pry the top off, you, you can see the holes where this particular key they give you adjusts. And then, of course, you got to disassemble the thing and... Uh, the body comes off, there's a spring, and if you press on the spring, the head pops up. And, you know, it's really pretty easy to, to figure out. And, by the way, I, I didn't buy just one of these. <laughs> so I guess I should probably get rid of that thing and... Who needs directions? <laughs> well, I, I think you're going to find out here pretty soon uh, just who can use directions. Uh, I've, I've titled our, our little topic today, Becoming a Godly Man. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a speaker by any means, so I may not have the right uh, choices of words, but uh, kind of bear with me as we work through this. You know, if, if the fellow that rented that machine to me uh, had spent a little more time explaining the, the proper operating techniques, uh, the correct way to use that tool, uh, instead of impressing me with the size of the motor, you know, that, that Kawasaki, it was pretty cool when you pulled the the string and it took off um, because there are definitely some do's and don'ts and I experienced a lot of the do's I mean it's fun to see that grass cleaned up and the thatch come out but I also experienced the don'ts 
you know, when the pieces of plastic came out, I wondered, <laughs> what could that possibly be? Um, so it would have saved me a lot of headache and a, yeah, a little bit of money, too, uh, if I'd have had those directions in advance. Uh, so it's obvious that I can use directions. And I, I think it's probably a safe assumption that many of us can use directions. Uh, in this particular case, the damage was easily repaired and uh, it, relatively a fun experience. Uh, but this morning, I'd like to take a look at a, a new believer. He's referred to in the Bible as a disciple or a follower of Christ. And the example I've picked had little or no information, well, very little information uh, in comparison to what we have today, uh, what's available for us to learn about Christ he did have the support of his mother and his grandmother. And as I go through this, you might be able to pick out who we're going to be talking about here shortly. Um, but he was raised in what I would characterize as a, um, a difficult family environment. His mother was a Jew, so he was raised under strict um, Jewish or Mosaic law. His father was referred to or... It's, it tell, it'll tell us here in the Bible that he was a Greek, uh, and that's another term for a Gentile, but certainly not a Jew. Um, so you can imagine that there was probably um, a fair amount of family discord and uh, maybe numerous times that conflict occurred in, in the raising of this child. Uh, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians six fourteen says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness?" So that's that's a key right there, and that's something that we find in the information or God's word. What's available for us today? And of course, this young new disciple didn't have that. And uh, talking about being unequally yoked, uh, Pastor Dave referred to that and the book that he's writing. And uh, so that's a topic for another day, and maybe I'll let you tackle that rather than me. Uh, I just wanted to kind of put things in perspective here. Uh, what I'd like you to do, though, is open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, uh, and we're going to re read about this new believer, this young disciple, Acts chapter 16, and I'm actually going to begin in chapter 15, verse 40. It says, But Paul chose Silas, and he departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. His father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. 
And they went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to which, the de- excuse me, the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. I was a history major in college and enjoy reading about historical events and historical characters. Uh, and if you've attended any of my Sunday school classes, uh, you know that I like to place myself and my class as much in the time period as we can uh, so we can get a real feel for the events and what was taking place during that period. So what I want you to do now is, is get a picture of the Apostle Paul, uh, who's going to become the model for this believer, young Timothy. And, you know, Barb Watson, bless her heart, is the one who puts these things together. And she said, you want me to put your head on the body? <laughs> and I said, no. Uh, pick me out some guy that looks like a philosopher or uh, an old guy. So this is, this is what we came up with. Um, in Philippians, we, we can get a, a good look at, at the Apostle Paul here. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking, and in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, and there we go. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul's saying that if there's any one of you who believes he or she has risen to or attained a level of manhood or leadership worthy of modeling, look at me. And he's, he's going to go on here and give us a little rundown about his qualifications. And he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Uh, Paul points out that from his birth, he was raised according to Jewish law. He traces his heritage back to the patriarch Israel, and Israel here is referring to Jacob. Um, That's as far as any Jew could trace back their lineage. And he further establishes his position um, by saying he's... He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And of course, we know that Benjamin and Judah were the two southern tribes um, that followed the Mosaic law. The ten northern tribes had rebelled and uh, had turned from that. So Paul is saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, And concerning the law, a Pharisee. And I know we get the Pharisee and the Sadducees and all these different groups confused, but the Pharisees were the strictest of the Jewish sects, and they followed the written law of Moses to the letter. Uh, Paul was also, sometimes I say it wrong, he was a persecutor of the believers, and I think of him as a prosecutor of the believers. Uh, And having a law background, um, I met a lot of prosecutors. And believe me, they are the cream of the cream. Uh, They're the ones that 
represent you or I. They represent the state in superior court where a person is being tried for an offense. Uh, and of course, the person tried has got their, their defense attorneys that come in and plead their case. The prosecutor pleads the case for the state and he's generally got the guy convicted before, uh, before the trial starts. And as a good police officer, I pretty much figured anybody that was brought to court was probably guilty anyway. <laughs> uh, if we go on here, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And Paul couldn't be confused or accused of any violation of the law. Uh, he persecuted anyone who didn't follow the law, and he aimed primarily, of course, at the followers of Jesus. Um, the righteousness or salvation that was believed to be gained by following the law, Paul says, I'm blameless. I have followed the law completely. So he, he was an overachiever. There's no question about that. Um, but Paul was also a changed man. Christ took hold of his heart, and where he once counted these things important, the importance of his, uh, his Jewish faith, his heritage, um, his background, his training, um, educated under the finest teachers, uh, he counted that as loss. Um, he goes on here in, in verse 7 to say, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Uh, and I'm sure that many of you are aware that Paul was his name that was changed from Saul. He was, he was formerly called Saul. Uh, he had been the primary persecutor of the followers of Jesus Christ. However, on the road to Damascus, he met Christ in a miraculous way. And Christ took hold of Paul's life, and he broke that proud heart that he had. And now Paul says, everything that I've accomplished, uh, and that's his birth, his strict adherence to the law, his education, his work for the temple, uh, it's all nothing. And he even, in another part of the Bible, says that it's, it's, or I guess it was in Isaiah, where Isaiah said it was, the, the righteousness that I have is as filthy rags. And he says, um, but look what Christ has done for me. And he, he pointed to the cross. Christ died on the cross for me. So everything that I've done is of, of, no, of no gain. The point I want you to understand here is that Jesus Christ took Paul, changed his heart, changed the direction of his life, and he used him to change lives. And if Christ can change Paul's life, he can change you and me. He can change our lives. Let's see if my... Where do we find direction to become godly men? Well, I said earlier that this young Timothy um, had little to go 
uh, his, his, the writings that were available to them were uh, the law, what we call the first five books of the Old Testament. He probably had some scrolls that were written by some of the prophets talking about the coming Christ. Uh, but today, today we have the whole Bible. We have God's word. Uh, and we know... Is that going to change? Yeah. That's pretty cool having that up there. I don't have to turn around. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, when I was a, a young fellow, probably in junior high, uh, and at some someday I'd like to share my testimony. That's that's when I accepted Christ in in my junior high years. Uh, I read this verse and it was kind of confusing because those are big words. Um, it, it's pretty easy to understand that Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know that's that's a pretty pretty much a given. But it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's kind of a, a new word, reproof. Um, instruction in righteousness. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that, but what, is that, what does that all mean? Um, but the Bible, it tells us that the Bible is the inspired word of God. You know, it's, it's God's direction. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. Um, it's how God speaks to us today. One commentary I read rephrased this to say, God's word is valuable for teaching directions. You know, that was our first point. Who needs direction? Well, God's word is valuable for teaching directions. It convinces, it corrects, and it instructs in principles of just and right behavior. And that was a lot easier for me to understand uh, the idea of just is based on God's standard. It's not based on man's standard. Too much of what happens in this world today is, what does man say? What does society say is okay? Well, things that society says is okay is just a perversion of, uh, of good. It, and as philosophers, you know, we, in our Sunday school class, we've been talking about um, the growth of the church and Christianity. And as philosophers came along, they started thinking, no, well, now, let's see, because I think, I am. You know, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. You know, it's not real rational thinking. Um, but what's just is God's standard. And that's... That's what we have here. We have God's standard to regulate and to uh, measure our lives by. It's not what we believe, but it's the truth. And the truth is what's important. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, that's one of my favorite verses. Somebody should put that in a song, I think. <laughs> yeah, it already is. <laughs> but
But how absolutely marvelous that the psalmist used the light of a lamp as an analogy of God's word. You know, when, when you think of that lamp, God's word is a light unto my feet. Uh, just the idea of light indicates that we're in darkness. Why would you need a light if we're not in darkness? This world is a dark place. Um, when I was thinking of a light unto my feet, you know, I was thinking if when we walk with a light, uh, it's to keep us from stumbling. So if we don't have the light and we're walking and we trip, it's, it's not a big thing. You know, if we make a little mistake, even though this is the light right here, so if we don't have that light and we make a little trip, we're not really physically injured. Our relationship with Christ is injured. But what if the step we make is actually a fall? And I'm not going to go over there. I might fall down the steps now. But walking without light could result in real injury. And if you equate that to your spiritual life, it can be a real fall. As you can open up the newspaper almost any day and see where one of our leaders has fallen uh, by making poor choices. And if we are not going to use God's word as the standard, as the just and right standard, then we are going to fall. Uh, this morning I was kind of re reading through my notes and I was thinking this over and, and thinking of it's summertime and it's time to go camping. Uh, how many of you, uh, I'm sure many of you experienced a camping trip and how dark it is at night with no street lights and walk from the tent area to another area? Uh, I didn't want to say the bathroom, but uh, so you get up and you go to walk. How many people would have a flashlight with them and not use it? How many people would put a flashlight behind their back and, you know, I, I know I can get there and walk out through the woods. So not a, not a wise choice. We have the flashlight. We have God's word right here. Um, so why go through life carrying it? And not using it. I've included a, a map. And as you can see, that's the Mediterranean. And uh, down here on the right is, this is Israel. Um, and we, we already read the scripture here. Um, Paul and Silas traveled from Jerusalem up through, up, this is Syria. So they went up through Syria, and they turned west uh, through Cilicia, that's that area, into Derby and Lystra. Um, and this is where they met Timothy, over in this area. Uh, to get an understanding of Paul, uh, we studied him in our, our Sunday school class. And just think the distance... You know, these guys didn't have cars, by the way. 
So, you know, that's a pretty fair hike right there up into Syria. And, of course, everything that's green is probably fairly level. But once you get into the brown, um, this is a major mountain range right here. Uh, this is all mountains. And you can, you can see the route that this fellow takes. And it, true, it was over a period of months that he, he made this second missionary journey. But uh, there's a fair amount of travel there. Uh, so remember, Timothy was the young believer. He didn't have the, the Bible as we know it today. He only had the law to refer to. And, in, and of course, his, his mother and grandmother, who were believers. <clears throat> and then he had other believers in these um, smaller cities, in Lystra and uh, Derby, that uh, he could use as examples. But imagine if, if you, um, if you will, all the, all the new believers trying to answer each other's questions. <clears throat> um, do we still sacrifice? What part of the law do we keep? Did Christ or Jesus fulfill all the law, part of the law? You know, these, these guys were just full of questions. And when Paul, now this, this is his second journey, he had already been there at one time and established churches. So he's now kind of a, a recalling on these churches. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he could see a need that these people had. Um, Timothy joins Paul and Silas at, at this point, and he experiences Paul's teaching and life in dramatic ways as they traveled across. Uh, since they, this is where uh, Timothy joined Paul and Silas, so all of this journey here, up and up across to Macedonia, and then down into what we know as Greece today, Corinth and Athens. Um, he had the experience of being with Paul and Silas. Um, later on today at your leisure, if you read from verse 6 on through uh, chapter 18, you can read about uh, some of the events that, that these people experienced. <clears throat> and excuse me, I did bring some water up here. Young Timothy is going to witness firsthand the power and conviction uh, that Paul and Silas spoke with and demonstrated in their lives. And these, these are the two key points that I want you to, to understand here. Um, Paul and Silas both loved Jesus Christ, uh, and they demonstrated this love, not only in their speaking, but in their life, in the way they dealt with people, the way they met difficult circumstances. Um, Timothy also witnessed the cost of these convictions, um, as if you read through these chapters, you'll see that Paul and Silas were beaten with rods, thrown into jail, run out of town by mobs. So it, it wasn't all a, a glorious uh, and safe time like we experience here in, in our free country. And of course, Timothy didn't have God's word 
as we do today, but he had something else, something that I believe is vital and important to a godly man. During these months of travel, um, Timothy developed a relationship with a man that God had prepared for this task. He was, he was taught, he was trained, um, he was able to visually witness um, a godly man and in his daily walk. Um, he was discipled by Paul and Silas every step of the way. Uh, I can just imagine them uh, camping out in this desert wilderness area, uh, and they, they probably traveled with a pretty fair entourage of people that did their cooking and uh, took care of things, tried to find housing for them. But you wouldn't find a, a best western out in any of these areas. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the society was a little different as people came into town, people opened their homes and welcomed them in. Uh, but Timothy witnessed the way Paul carried himself um, as a godly man. Um, what an experience that must have been for Timothy as they built this one-on-one relationship, this personal relationship. Um, Timothy was witnessing Christ-likeness. He was witnessing a godly man living out what he professed. Um, Today we would call that walking the walk. Uh, I don't know about you, but I learn far easier when someone demonstrates something to me. Like my Thatcher, um, or de-Thatcher I guess it's called. Uh, The fellow showed me how to start it, and then he just said, hang on. So, uh, yeah, so I didn't learn a lot about the operation of it. Uh, And in this case, Timothy was able to watch Paul. He was able to observe his his daily routine, how he got up in the morning. Um, I'm sure his his devotional time. Um, Did Paul get up, have his cup of, I don't know, what did they drink out there? Tea? Coffee? Mud? Yeah. Uh, Coca. Yeah. Uh, so he was able to witness a godly man in, in his routine of life. And it, I'm sure it had a, it, well, obviously it, we're going to find had a, a vital effect on him. And knowing Paul as, as we do know him, um, I believe Paul also had a plan to uh, hold Timothy accountable. Um, not only was he seeing the way a godly man lived, but I'm sure Paul was making sure that Timothy's life was mimicking or rese- starting to resemble um, Paul's life. Uh, and what we know to be true is that as they returned um, from this journey to Ephesus, Timothy was uh, told to remain in Ephesus. 
And Paul went on, of course, to Jerusalem to report back to the church, uh, the church elders, what he had done and seen. Uh, and, of course, Timothy was left there to, uh, to strengthen and to help the new Christians in Ephesus. Oops, wrong button. So I, I put this on. How do we handle these directions? And I think handle wasn't the right word. Probably, how do we apply these directions? You know, in a short number of years, Timothy is now pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's dealing with all the pagan and idol worship of a modern and prosperous Roman colony. You see, Roman, Rome had uh, colonized this whole Mediterranean area, and Ephesus, being right there on the sea, uh, was a main trade area, and it was one of the um, most densely populated cities in, that er in all of that Mediterranean area. Um, but it was a pagan, pagan city. Uh, the Temple of Diana was there. Um, idols were common. And, uh, and of course, Paul, at this point, is in jail for speaking boldly about his faith for Jesus Christ. From his cell, he writes a letter to Timothy, a letter of encouragement and instruction. And I'm going to go ahead to that. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, when I read these verses, I could just see the bond of love that must have developed between Paul and Timothy um, as these men traveled together. And as Timothy watched and listened to Paul, as he was trained and discipled, um, in this first verse, Paul refers to Timothy as his son, and he encourages him. He said, rely on the grace only Christ our Lord can give. You know, this points back to where Paul said about himself that everything that you or I have accomplished, everything that we have done in our lives for ourselves is filthy rags compared to what Christ has done for us on the cross. So Paul's telling Timothy, rely on Jesus Christ. The things you've learned, the things that you have seen, the things that were taught you, teach them to faithful men who will be able to teach others. You see, all that Timothy had learned and experienced during this time of travel and his companionship with Paul, he wasn't supposed to just sit back and in the joy of the Lord um, experience a wonderful relationship with Christ, but he was given a charge by Paul, a charge to train other men. And Paul says, faithful men who would in turn train other faithful men. And in this one statement, Paul is expressing to Timothy a model for Christian growth, which results in 
godly men results in success in life. You know, I, I like this, this word faithful. Um, when faithful is used in the Bible, it refers to an attribute of God. God is faithful. And it's, it brings the understanding or the connotation that what God has started, he will continue and finish. He's, he's never going to do something just part way. And that was the point that Paul was getting across to Timothy. What you begin, don't, don't quit in the middle. Continue, be faithful. Continue to train other men. You know, can you imagine the joy that Paul must, or Paul must have experienced as he watched Timothy lead others in Ephesus? He was discipling and training faithful men as he had been discipled. Would you like to experience that same joy? I know I would. Uh, I think of the joy, and I, I don't see Pastor Ralph and Margie here today, but... I think of the joy that they must have experienced uh, in the years spent teaching and witnessing to the tribal people in the Amazon and seeing them come to a, a saving knowledge in Christ uh, and to watch them mature to become pastors and leaders just like Timothy did. And I don't want to leave the women out. Uh, this isn't just for men. You know, in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Older women likewise, you are instructed to be reverent in behavior, teachers of good things, able to teach younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So uh, this opportunity to teach and to uh, mentor or disciple is for all of us, for each one of us. Um, and, and I hope you can see the unique relationship that can exist between brothers in Christ. Paul, a godly man, and Timothy, who became a mature godly man. And why? Because of Paul's willingness to share himself and share the love of Jesus Christ with his younger brother Timothy. Each one of us, men or women, can experience the joy of a closer relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. However, it requires a condition of the heart that matches either Timothy, whose faith and his desire to grow, he was willing to be discipled, or your heart must match Paul's heart, his desire to train and to nurture a younger man to have a closer walk with Christ. Um, the results, God receives the glory. The church grows. You know, one of the things you'll see in the, the book of Acts, Paul continues to say the church grew. Um, and most importantly, lives are changed. Um, it's exciting for me to think that I can be used by Christ to change lives. Each of you can be used by Christ to change lives. All we have to do is be willing 
to submit to him. 33 years ago, Cindy and I moved to the Pacific Northwest uh, because we felt God was leading us here. And uh, we, we came to raise our family. Uh, and I've got most of my family sitting down here in front today. <laughs> Shortly after we arrived, I received a letter from my dad. Uh, <clears throat> and it, in that letter, um, he said... I want to encourage you to find a church family that teaches the Word of God. And he impressed on me my responsibility to be a godly man, to love my wife as Christ loved, and to raise my children in the knowledge and understanding of Christ. You know, each of you has a copy of the letter that my father's letter was patterned after, and that's the Bible. Uh, my prayer today is that you read it, that you commit it to memory, and that you share it with someone who sees you as a more godly man or a more godly person. Uh, and I might also challenge you to step out of your comfort zone uh, and ask someone who you see as a godly man, will you disciple me? Uh, will you help me be more like Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. and We just thank you for the example that you've given us, the example of, who is, of Paul, who was a godly man and how he built a special relationship uh, with one that he saw needed to be trained by you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is so available to us. Father, may we treasure it as we live here to honor you and to bring glory to you. Father, thank you again for our time. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.